safety, labor, water. Those were big issues, and they still are, and top priorities of produce growers in the western states of the U.S. when Dennis Donahue started tackling how technology and innovation can provide solutions in agriculture. Now, ag tech startups are really maturing, but how? Hi, I'm Amy Souter, your host of the Tip of the Iceberg podcast and the Packers editor of Retail Education and PMG, or Produce Market Guide. This week's episode is co-hosted and brought to you by Zag Technical Services, part of our ag tech series. Now, let's join the chat with Dennis. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast with the Packer and talking all things ag tech. I'm your host, Rob Collings, VP of Marketing for Zag Technical Services, and I'm joined by my co-host, Melinda Goodman at Full Tilt Marketing. Hey, Melinda. Hey. Now, hey, today, so I'm pretty excited today, and I know that you always make fun of me when I say I'm excited. <laughs> that doesn't sound like I am, but I am today because we uh, we get to welcome Dennis Donahue of the Western Growers Centre for Innovation and Technology, which is a premier ag tech startup incubator based in Salinas, California. Uh, Dennis has spent the greater part of his career in agricultural leadership, creating innovative business models, identifying new technologies and developing initiatives that integrate ag tech and innovation into the business structure at organisations such as Calvita Global, European Vegetable specialties, Royal Rose, uh, Where Else River, Ranch, Fresh Foods, Fresh Express Farms, and Fresh Western Marketing, and dozens and dozens more, I'm sure. So welcome, Dennis. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Well, that one's a little overstated. Once upon a time, I was just a uh, guy on a produce desk with the old Fresh Western Marketing, which these days uh, folks would probably identify as Church Brothers. Uh, So as I like to tell people, I'm just a produce guy. Before we really jump into ag tech, Dennis, we were just comparing some notes. We know a lot of the same people, our past. This is the first time you and I have ever had a chance to talk. I mean, our, our paths have probably crossed, even though we haven't met. And since I was I was reading a little bit up on your background, I first have to ask the question that maybe nobody ever asks. I see you have a background in history and religious studies. And I mean, this is kind of an interesting path to take to agriculture. But in all honesty... I don't know if it's that big of a leap because to be in agriculture, you got to have a whole lot of faith. Well, you do, or, you know, or as I lamely joke, a prayer was an only shot I had in life to to, uh, make anything of myself. But the other thing about ag is, you know, more often than not, one or two things happen. You either grew up in it or you married into it. So I married into it. So that's how you get from history to agriculture. So, well, you know, there you go. That makes sense. Uh, I think my husband at most days would wish he didn't marry into ag, but he does his best. (laughs) You know, the, the, the one thing I will say is I'm really glad glad I did. I look back at this stage of my life and thank God I never had to get a real job. I got a way of life instead. And I think most of the people, uh, certainly in this valley, and I'm going to guess all the other valleys and folks in ag, I mean, it can obviously it can be tough and challenging at times, but uh, I really do like that it is a way of life. And, uh, you know, and the fact you and I just, before we got on the air, got to compare notes, you rattled off Milwaukee, Texas, and we quickly got into, do you know? And yes, you did. And, and I've always liked that about the industry as well. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, likewise, likewise. I, the other way is I've stumbled into it through Zag that's had a focus on Zag for a very long time. And, you know, speaking of marrying into it, sort of fell in love as well. So I guess that's a bit interrelated. So, hey, Dennis, um, 
Let's talk Western Growers and the Centre of Innovation. Yes. So it was founded in around 2015, yeah? Where did the idea come from? How did that develop? Well, I had a, an opportunity to get started with the Innovation Center when Hank Gickless was uh, our uh, VP of uh, Food Safety Science and Technology. And he tells the story. I had known Hank prior to that, but having been at Western Growers now for a number of years and then seeing the dynamic, it is a problem-solving group. And uh, besides the advocacy work we do at the state and the nation's capital, part of the service portfolio to its members included... Uh, what Hank did and and uh, what he shared with me as a board, there was a, essentially a directive. How do we as an industry become more proactive and lean into the future around our key challenges? And so the framing of, the, of that answer was innovation and technology. And I like the fact it included innovation and wasn't limited to just technology. And so the Innovation Center was born under that. One of the real patrons of the spearhead of the idea was Bruce Taylor as he was coming into his time as chair. And so Bruce has uh, always been very, you know, obviously Taylor Farms are a real leader and innovator and uh, Taylor Farms headquarters was getting built in, in Salinas. Frankly, we were one of the early on players in ag tech ecosystem is a concept. I mean, if I were to put on my uh, former mayor's hat, I'd tell you we're first in November 2007, we came up with the idea of an ecosystem, not innovation, because innovation's been in ag a long time. We never lay claim to that. But the reality is we had a great board, a clear need to address the myriad of challenges that face agriculture. You know, Robert, you're working in ag, and then Melinda, you've been around in a long time in other parts of the country. You know, ag is the uh, intersection of almost a myriad of folks' agendas, whether it's regulators, whether it's societal, consumer, et cetera. Coupled with, it's pretty challenging to do stuff outdoors and all the variables we have to deal with. So Western growers, and at the time, the priorities were food safety. I think everyone knew that labor was an issue for a variety of reasons. And at the time, water was a big issue. The water, in many respects, is a function. You know, how do you deal with lack of, you know, even after a winter of heavy rains, we're still talking about the storage capability. So it's less a technology play than it is a policy and infrastructure play. However, it evolved very quickly into, you know, water is the most obvious resource where we have to begin to do more with less. And then that sets up all the tools of precision ag, whether it's data, sensors, satellites, et cetera. And then, like I say, water is just the beginning of the list of how do we do more with less. So at the time, those were kind of our big three. And the intent was relative to serving our members, how can we use technology and innovation on behalf of the membership? And I think there was an understanding that, you know, those areas in particular, you have to view from a pre-competitive space, you know, that you've got to create some scale and you've got to work together. So our members are going to compete in certain areas, but cooperate in others. And I think the idea of technology and innovation was kind of expand the, the cooperation piece where possible. You mentioned just a minute ago, everybody working together, some of those really early leaders that offered that guidance early on. I was reading a quote from Bruce Taylor, who you mentioned was one of your sort of early champions of this idea. I'm not even going to paraphrase. It's too good to paraphrase. He said, the fresh produce industry is labor intensive. It requires significant use of water and other inputs. If we are going to continue to provide safe and healthy food to a growing population, we must collaborate more closely with the innovators and entrepreneurs who can help us revolutionize how we farm. That last, those last few words, like really, they hit me to the core. 
like revolutionized how we farm. I think it's sad here. Well, it is like here in the US, we have the safest, most abundant, most affordable food supply in the world. But at the same time, we know we need to make it more resilient to keep pace with a growing population. It said we're going to need 50% plus more food calories than we produce today to feed the world. And how do we revolutionize? We don't even know what that might look like yet. I mean, how are you finding, you have like a hundred startups now, like how are you right. even finding the startups and, and well, beginning to know, tackle those those big ideas that are going to revolutionize well, well, food? There's no, there's no shortage of folks that want to uh, take a crack at the, from the technology side of getting involved with agriculture. But one of the challenges we had, and if you pick up on Bruce's comments, all true, but you know, Western growers, as I like to tell folks, we're the fresh fruit and vegetable and nut crowd. We're not the Midwest. So, you know, you look at California alone, depending upon what number you like, we're some three to 400 different crops. I think arguably a higher level of complexity than, uh, you know, what I kind of perceive the stereotypical Midwest, you jump in the combine and uh, off you go. And it's less labor intensive and bigger volume. Now that from an investment standpoint, the technology companies, equipment companies, that's a little more attractive on the surface. So and that and so our reality of specialty crops in particular reinforces working together where possible for the, no other reasons than to create scale and good economics for technology to work, particularly on the equipment side, sensor side, people need scale. And then if you can assemble better economics. So I think it may be counterintuitive, but I think you need the larger players to set it up for the small players. It leads to democratization of technology, but you've got to get, there's a process to how you get there. Yeah, look, I, I agree with that completely. And you've actually, you said something that's super interesting to me, you know, as a marketer, and Melinda is, well, my job, in a sense, I sort of humble myself before the market. I don't assume things about it. I have to go and understand it. And uh, in fact, one of our other guests, um, Andy Tudor, had famously said to me, you know, Rob, if you don't understand how they grow, how do you expect to understand their business? And you have folks coming to you with really big ideas they see big problems, have a solution for that. I've seen one of your colleagues, Walt Dufflock, who frequently is on LinkedIn. He talks about marketing and going to market a little bit and ag tech and things of that nature. I mean, what's your view of the startups who, who aren't coming in and saying, hey, can I talk to the 60 farmers so I understand their business a little bit better or how they do what they do? In marketing, we call it a, a market orientation versus a product orientation. Right. What's your thought on how startups and ag tech startups can be thinking about engaging, whether it's growers or the big enterprises like Taylor Farms and you mentioned Church Brothers and companies like that? Like, What advice would you give a startup? Well, I, you know, I think you're certainly alluding to it. You know, we used to uh, kind of lamely joke at the beginning of ag tech. And, you know, and it's interesting. It's kind of reached the point where it's perceived as an industry. I move throughout the state. You deal with educational institutions. You know, how do you introduce an ag tech agenda? So ag tech's a real thing. But back in the beginning, to your point, we had a bunch of tech people come into the valley and they were going to help us with our yields. And, you'd, and we'd immediately roll our eyes and that ain't going to work it. And how come you all keep designing solutions for problems we never knew we had? But then things evolved, I'd say, relatively quickly to, hey, if this is going to work for anybody, co-development's the name of the game. So I think there's been a maturation process 
from startups that they understand they do need a way to get uh, close to the market and what are the specifics of agriculture. You know, one of the things I tell people, we're actually not really an incubator or an accelerator. We cheer for all of them. But at the end of the day, what people are interested in is market access. What You know, the Western Growers Network is a pretty good one. And so I tell people we can facilitate the elements of all those things that people do, whether it's coaching or introduction to financial players, but really people look to us, can you help me cross the finish line? But the reality is you can't cross the finish line if you can't get started. So you mentioned Walt, and I think Walt has been consistent and clear and correct that understanding grower economics is critical. Market fit, you know, is this the right product? Are you working on the right thing with your product or the need of the grower? On the other hand, you know, customer discovery is its own phase of all of this. So I hope one of the things that we contribute to folks as they get started in the process, that we can help them get some customer feedback and some reality checks and then what I hope uh, our role has been is to uh, provide appropriate reality checks in product development process, because that, that's important to us, because we're not going to get new stuff, because we're good at growing things, uh, adding value to produce and that sort of thing. But, you know, one of the next waves in technology is we're all going to be talking about artificial intelligence. And plenty of people that have told me over the years, that's the only kind of intelligence you have. It's artificial. Uh, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's a more sophisticated technical uh, world. And we need the tech side of things to, to say, hey, this is how our deal works. And I mentioned, you know, hey, how come you kept designing solutions for problems we never had? But, you know, to some degree, that's the culture of the Silicon Valley. It's like, okay, we see markets, we see opportunities, you try things on for size. And I think we've matured to the point, it's like, hey, agriculture in particular, we're going to have to get closer to the market if we how to proceed on the product development side. So I think uh, the worlds have uh, come much closer together. And then frankly, things take as long as they take in terms of proof of concept of market. Every company, big and small, relies on technology. From the field to the warehouse to administration, uptime stability is critical to your bottom line and to supply chain continuity. Cybersecurity is one of the greatest risks to modern agriculture. Contact Zag Technical Services for your technology risk assessment and let us check your tech. Visit zagtech.com. So oftentimes when we get to technology, we, so you're, you're talking about this discovery, solve the problem. Oftentimes it's product focused or problem focused. How do we make it people focused? So we talk about really the idea that especially crop industry is highly, highly labor intensive. And over the past, past few years, not only do we have a labor shortage, but we're starting to hear the word upskilling a lot. And the idea that we're going to have to, I mean, with all this ag tech is coming the need to training a lot of people, right. new jobs that are going to come with all this advanced right. ag technology. In reality, we don't lose jobs. We just create new jobs or in some cases, better jobs. How is your center helping train that next generation? Because it's like, you can have all the great ideas in the world, but if, if we can't get to implementation and use them right. and make that good for all of our people. Well, one of the things I'm, I'm really proud of the work that we've done at the center and as Western growers, a couple of years ago, we launched and initiated a program with uh, CDFA secretary, Karen Ross, around the next generation ag worker. And the impetus of it at some level was pretty simple. You can invest, but you know, if you look at the investors or if you look at the owners, so-and-so may invest in something, 
but he ain't going to be the one out in the field doing it. So the reality is you do need a workforce that can, to your point, implement technology. And frankly, they're really critical because, and it's interesting, particularly in the apps world and the data world, you know, Patrick Zelaya from Heavy Connect likes to often talk about, if I make the sale in the boardroom, I've probably got a problem. You know, I need to make the sale in the field before I get to the boardroom. So it really speaks to it's very, very important to make sure the workforce is on board, is able to execute. And so that sets up, where's that future workforce going to come from? Near-term upskilling is really critical. So how does that happen? And with Secretary Ross, we chose the community colleges to work with, and we've done some eight visits throughout the state to get a geographic spread. But And, and we like community colleges as the setting for a couple of reasons, because they're in the business of, as young people come up, they'll, you know, they're passionate pathway can either be high school, community college, and then directly into industry. Education is part of that, but community colleges, besides training folks, they also are in the business of certificates, which means they can do corporate training programs. They can upskill current workforces. And then the other thing is, if you look at a number of the ag tech companies, they realize pretty clearly, hey, we better be able to train workers or we're not going to be able to sell or least whatever we're doing. So that's how those things are happening. But we recognize if you didn't address this workforce issue, it was going to slow down adoption. So it strategically became part of our objectives as the center. I very much appreciate the full circle dynamic of how agriculture is coming together to be part of this solution. It's it's not just Silicon Valley showing up with a big idea or a piece of tech or it really is, what are our needs? Who are the people that can help us solve it? Who are the people that are going to implement it? How are we going to integrate it? It is that full circle moment. Yeah, everybody can buy an iPhone and use an iPhone, though I admit I still don't know how to save things like I should. But, you know, that's a very democratic thing. Everybody can do it. But, you know, when you get into ag tech, honestly, technology does not move forward without the industry. Before we wrap, I want to talk about um, an event I'm super excited about that uh, will be my first year at. So I'm going to probably mangle how this is actually pronounced. <laughs> so I might learn something new today. Well, I always do, but uh, FIRA. Right. Is that right? Got it. All right. You got it. You're good. Boom. All right. It's about, that's Woo! 10 things I've learned today. Woo-hoo. So Autonomous Farming Agrobotics Solution Event is going to be held in Salinas this uh, September. I was super heavily involved. Uh, you're a partner, co-organizer. I know Walt talks about it a lot. So 2022 was the year of the robots. What are we expecting this year? What trends are we going to see out in the field? Well, I think robots uh, are not going away anytime soon. I mean, one of the reasons we introduced the Global Harvest uh, Automation Acceleration Initiative, and that speaks to why we're committed to this category. If you look at the industry, Uh, There's been a lot of progress in uh, automation, whether it's tractors or going on from a technology standpoint, sanding and weeding or harvest assists like the burrow. But, you know, when you look at the harvest deal quickly and, you know, and obviously that's the most labor intensive facet of, uh, of our business in the field. We just felt and still continue to feel that the market, to some degree, things move as fast as they move, or can you get strategic and intentionally nudge them? So take a look at the Strawberry Commission. I mean, they've been working on harvest automation for a decade. So if 2022 was the year of the robots, it's reasonable to assume for a couple more years, robots are good. You know, automation is going to be front and center. So they're not going anywhere. And the Salinas Rodeo Grounds will be the place to be September 19th through the 21st. And it really will be a global gathering. 
the world is coming to Salinas. The world is coming to Holtville. The world is coming to Yuma. The world is coming to Reedley with technology. So we're really in the forefront. The world gathers around what we're trying to do. So I think that's pretty exciting. I think FIRA will really show that off. I cannot thank you and Western Growers and Center of Innovation and Technology enough. Incredibly impressive. And I hope that perhaps there are a few folks listening in today that uh, were not quite as familiar with what you're doing. So thank you so much for sharing that with us today. So Melinda, uh, it's been an amazing talk. Uh, hopefully I'll see you in June and September and in Salinas. We'll go and check out those robots. And anyway, Melinda, do you want to take this one home for us? Sure. Uh, Dennis, thank you. This has been so enlightening. And I love that we have these conversations in ag tech that aren't just about tech as people think about tech in terms of like information technology or computers or robots. We had a conversation with Andy Tudor a couple of days ago that was really about a new type of coating for fresh fruit and vegetables to extend shelf life. I've spent the entirety of my career in agriculture, first on our family ranch, uh, 25 years now uh, in the fresh produce industry. And I continue to be amazed by the level of innovation that farmers and ranchers deploy to feed the world. It's really incredible. I recently had a, a conversation with a pork industry consultant, and he said, you know, we measured our past success by how hard we could work. Like, what were the number of hours we right. could work? And today, we measure it by how smart we can work? What are the tools we can deploy to be smarter and get more done? There's no doubt that Western Growers is getting some of the smartest people in the room together to solve problems and really help producers work smarter and feed the world. And that in and of itself is incredible. So I can't wait to hear from more ag tech leaders, see more of what Western Growers is going to be doing, all the startups that you bring together, and really how that is going to change how we do business and what we know today. So thank you. You're welcome. Thanks very much for the opportunity to talk about what we do. As you can tell, we get pretty excited about it and uh, passionate about it. And, you know, that's all part of the industry uh, we enjoy serving. Until next time. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg podcast. I found it interesting how revolutionizing the way we do produce agriculture is not a pipe dream, but a necessary reality of today to feed our growing population in an increasingly volatile climate. Dennis has a deep understanding on how startups can meet the needs of growers and how they're getting better at it, from training next-generation agriculture workers to harvesting robots. Not like harvesting the robots, but the robots helping with harvesting. Anyway, check out our other Tip of the Iceberg podcast episodes. In our last episode, Vic Clark who's on the DEI committee at International Fresh Produce Association, talked about all the ways produce companies from the bottom up can change the company culture to be more diverse, equitable, and inclusive to more people, especially Black people, which who have historically not had positions of power in agriculture. And he also says why it's helpful to the bottom line and how to go about it starting in historically Black colleges and universities. Anyway, if you like what you hear, please hit the subscribe button and rate us on your preferred podcast platform. It really helps us out. And have you heard of our free professional bleh, professional development courses? Don't do that when you're on a job interview. At produceedu.com, we have all sorts of courses from produce buying fundamentals, merchandising 101, how to reduce food waste, all along the supply chain, CEA or indoor growing, and so much more. 
You can add this training to your LinkedIn profile under your skills and certifications and use it as evidence of your awesomeness when you ask for a raise or a new role or just to broaden and deepen your experience and get better at your current job. So remember, it's at produceedu.com. In this episode's show notes, you can find many ways to follow us for more produce information, news, tips, and insights. Thanks so much. Talk to you next time.